You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeout for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Phoenix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Ah, yes. Welcome back, Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill here. Thanks for coming back once again. Fun one today as the Mariners knock off the Pittsburgh Pirates in game one of a very brief two-game series. Then the Mariners will take on Baltimore for four. We'll talk about that uh, coming up in the podcast tomorrow. But we have another big podcast for you today. There's some changes in the rotation, some changes in the bullpen. So pitching coach Mel Stottlemyre Jr. will be here to talk about that. Greg Brown, Pirates broadcaster, will be here. Aaron Goldsmith will sit down with him. Good to catch up with the Pirates. The Mariners have played the Pirates the fewest times of any team in baseball. Just 11 times, including the game last night. They have played no team fewer times than the Pittsburgh Pirates. So... A chance to get familiar with the Pirates a little bit. Good conversation coming up there. Rick Riz will sit down with another member of the coaching staff, the always entertaining Casey Kendell. So that should be a conversation to enjoy. Before we get to the game last night against the Pirates, I had a question for you, and I'd love to get your feedback on this, your thoughts on this. And I ran across a very interesting article by the Sporting News, and basically what it did, it laid out the most beloved player for every Major League Baseball team. So not necessarily the very best player for every team, but the most beloved. For example, the Boston Red Sox, probably their greatest player of all time is Ted Williams, but they listed the most beloved player as Johnny Pesky. Sometimes they were the same. St. Louis Cardinals, they listed Stan Musial as the most beloved player in history. So I don't want to reveal who they had for the Mariners. I'll talk about it on the podcast tomorrow. You can probably guess who it is, but uh, I want to talk about that a little more. But what I would really like to know is who is who is your most beloved player? And don't look the, at this from kind of the Mariners fan base perspective. I want to know your personal most beloved player in Mariners history and for whatever reason it could be any reason great player or not uh, whatever I, I'd really like to know I'll, I'll read some of those coming up tomorrow at Gary Hill Jr. on Twitter as a quick way to get to me you can email me as well GaryHillPXP at gmail.com and I think I'll talk a little bit more about the article as well because I think it's pretty interesting to think about the most beloved players for each team in Major League Baseball so again I'd love to know yours. So we'll talk about that coming up in the podcast tomorrow. Right now, though, let's get to the game against the Pirates. The Mariners took two of three from the Cardinals. 
which was good, snapping the losing streak, taking two of three, and then an off day. So a chance to really reset the bullpen. Hisashi Iwakuma has really been the most consistent starter for the Mariners, and he was outstanding early in the ballgame. The windup and the 1-2. Strike three called. He gets caught looking on a curveball on the inside corner. Three strikeouts for Iwakuma over the first three innings. They have all come looking. Nice start for Hisashi Iwakuma. And he was cruising right along. He ended up pitching six and two-thirds, gave up six hits, two runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. Just kind of fell apart in the seventh inning. But Diaz comes on, and he is just, oh, man, striking out everybody. An inning and a third pitch, he fans two, doesn't give up a hit, doesn't walk anybody. His strikeout rate is ridiculous. He's king everybody. What a start to his young season. And he is becoming more and more trusted as we move on. The leverage is getting higher and higher. And he is full-fledged setup man right now for the Mariners. 17 pitches, an inning, and a third. Truly remarkable. Steve Ciszek comes on, slams the door, gives up one hit. That was it. And he grabs his 18th save of the season. Iwakuma, his seventh win of the year. And plenty of offense for the Mariners. Before we get to that, though, some outstanding defense for the Mariners in this one, helping the cause. The pitch, one on ground ball toward the hole at short, backhanded by Marte, over to Cano at second one, relay to first, in time, double play, side retired. Cattell Marte quickly to his right, he fires a strike to Robbie to get Polanco at second, and his relay to first, in time to get Marte, 6-4-3, the double play. 3-2, swing and a line drive in a center field. Martin coming up to make the catch. They've got a shot to double off. Joyce to throw to first to Lee, and it's in time. Double play. Matt Joyce was all the way down at second. Martin came in from center field to make the catch. A one-hopper into Lee. It was to his right. He had to go get the throw, get back to the bag. He got the foot on the bag before Joyce got back. It's funny because Martin has really changed games with his arm, and lately he hasn't even had to use his arm to change games. The scattering report is certainly out on Martin, and teams are just not running on him. And, in fact, it impacted the game, uh, one of the games against St. Louis, where there's a base hit to center field, and Carpenter, who runs pretty well, he's not a slug, running third base, and he was held with two outs and ends up, you know, Carnes is on the hill. The next batter smashes one right at Cano, who snares the line drive, ends the inning. Even with two outs, they're taking no chances with Martin in center field. And that was a game changer there. We've seen his arm impact games actually using it. And we've seen his arm impact games not using it at all. Well, he got to use it last night. Turns the double play there, helping the cause. And offensively, uh, some good nights all the way around. Kyle Seeger with three hits. The next pitch. Swing and it's cracked into left field. Dropping it in for a base hit. Run in front of Marte. Now rolling over to the track. It's cut up by McCutcheon. Meanwhile, Lee comes motoring into third. Here's a throw home. The slide, the tag. And he is out at home. They might have to check the foundation here at Safeco Field. Lee trying to score from first on a ball that ends up splitting McCutcheon and Marte. And he almost did. That would have been so awesome. Seeger also hit probably the longest single in Safeco Field history. Bashes one off the wall, just gets a single out of it as uh, the bases end up loaded. 
but he had three hits in the ball game. Cano had three hits in the ball game, and then Nelson Cruz absolutely obliterated a baseball. Here is the pitch on the way, swing and a fly ball deep to left field. No doubt about the distance. Goodbye baseball, upper deck, left field line. Holy smokes, what a shot by Nelson Cruz with Cano aboard. And it's now the Mariners five and the Pirates nothing for Nelson Cruz, his 20th home run of the season. That is his eighth consecutive year with 20 or more home runs. It's pretty amazing, and he continues to just crush lefties. And, in fact, if you go back to the beginning of 2014, Nelson Cruz has the most home runs in the majors, and it's not very close. 104 home runs now since 2014. That's 10 more than the next highest total. Mike Trout with 94, Edwin Encarnacion with 94. Chris Davis has 92. David Ortiz has 90. I mean, that, that's no joke. Ten more than the next highest. 104. And that one was a bomb. Upper deck blast. And as I mentioned, Robinson Cano, a very nice night as well. And the next offer, swing a ground ball up the middle into right center field. A base hit for Cano. Ronnie third, Gutierrez. He'll score. Up with the ball is McCutcheon, the throw to second base with two outs, an RBI clutch base hit for Robbie Cano, and now the Mariners lead the Pirates three to nothing on Cano's third hit of the night. Well, what you have to like is Cano, Cruz, Seeger. They have seven hits between them, seven for 12. They drive in three runs, the big home run there. They score three times as well and continue to cause opposition major headaches and the Mariners go on to win five to two over the Pirates the M's push their record to a game above 500 at 39 and 38 and now just a game away a win away from evening their mark at home they're now 18 and 19 at home they didn't have to blow through the bullpen with another nice start from Iwakuma so they're set up for the game tomorrow that we'll talk about in just a moment first let's hear from the skipper Get his thoughts on this win. Every day you say it's the starting pitching. It's the starting pitching. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it really was. Uh, outstanding job by, by Kuma. Um, you know, coming into the game after the warm-up in the bullpen, uh, maybe not the sharpest uh, that he's been, but he made pitches and, and uh, he made adjustments. I think it, you know, it says a lot to you know the professional that he is. Kind of uh, you know figuring out this is working or that isn't working, and then trying to <laughs> make it uh, as you're going along in the game, making adjustments. So uh, uh, really happy with his outing. Um, did a great job, you know. And Diaz got some big outs for us there, you know, in the, in the seventh and the eighth inning. So uh, nice step forward for him. He keeps uh, you know impressing uh, every time he's out there. Kuma seemed to find something with a slow curve, kind of. Kuma, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of slow curves in there. Kept him off balance. Um, you know, probably didn't have his, like I said, his sharpest stuff. His splitter was just okay, but got the breaking ball over early in the count and evened up a lot of counts when he was behind with it, uh, which was you know, really key for him tonight. You talked about working Diaz into higher leverage situations, tying run at the plate in the seventh. Uh, what is it that you see and you trust in bringing him in that situation? You know, ever since you know he got called up to the big leagues, you know, a young rookie, he really has, there's no fear. You know, he's very aggressive by nature, 
He's always in a good spot mentally. Um, he's just not scared, and he goes after him. So, you know, um, again, we want to be careful. Uh, he is a young pitcher, um, just moving into the bullpen for the first time, how much we use him. So, you know, day off, pitch him, day off, pitch him, maybe a couple days off. You know, we're going to have to kind of work with that schedule, and it works out pretty well. You know, we've still got Ben Wall back there uh, along with C-Sheck. So um, tonight we felt good about going to Diaz and did a great job. And for the eighth inning, too, was that kind of the... That was the plan, yeah. You know, bring him in, hopefully get the first guy out in the seventh, which he did. And then, uh, you know, he kind of went went right after him against uh, a couple pretty good left-handed hitters. Um, pretty good slider he threw, uh, both those guys. And there it is. That is the skipper, Scott Service. So the Mariners will take on the Pirates in Game 2 and the final game at Safeco Field against Pittsburgh. 7-10 tonight, first pitch. 6 o'clock for the pregame show. Wade Miley returns. He will take the ball. 6-3, a 5-2-8 ERA. Some changes in the rotation and the bullpen. We'll hear about that from Mel Stottlemyre Jr. in just a moment. Uh, the short version is Nathan Carnes has gone to the bullpen. Miley will be in the rotation. LeBlanc will get a start. Walker will be in the rotation and take his start as well as he looks ready to go. And then the very interesting aspect to this for the Pittsburgh Pirates is they're going to turn to a young gun. Jamison Tyone will take the ball for Pittsburgh in 2010. He was their first-round pick, the second overall draft pick in that draft. He can really bring it. His raw stuff really pops off the page. It's pretty overwhelming. He sits about 95 miles per hour. He will bring the gas. He will bring the heat. He has four major league starts now under his belt, all in the month of June. He came up and was untouchable. His first start, against the Mets, went six innings, six hits, three runs, three strikeouts. Not bad for an opener, but his second start against the Mets again, Eight innings of two-hit ball, didn't give up a run, and struck out five. Now, his next couple of starts, he went four against the Cubs, four runs on eight hits, and then an identical start last time out against the Dodgers, four innings, eight hits, and four runs. So we'll see what the Mariners get with Tyone. So it should be a pretty interesting start, but he certainly has the raw ability, the tools to be a very, very dominating pitcher at the big league level. See if the Mariners can get to him and try and sweep aside this mini two-game series. So break out, break, break out the mini brooms to try and sweep aside the Pittsburgh Pirates. Again, 7-10, first pitch. Now, I've alluded to the changes in the rotation, so let's go to it right now. Here's the pitching coach for the Mariners. All sorts of news today, Mel. We, we've had a change in the rotation. We've had a change in the bullpen, and you've got some great health updates to give. Let's start with the health updates. Taiwan Walker on schedule to go on Thursday. Yeah, we'll start with Ty. Uh, you know, everything looks good to this point. He had, he had a good bullpen, was able to get off his backside and use his legs, and uh, we all know he, he's a guy that needs his intensity, needs his lower half, so it's uh, – you know, as I said, I think when we spoke in Boston, I was a little uneasy. Yeah. Uh, I feel a lot better going into this start. And I know he's had some time and he got his shot, and hopefully things have healed in there. He doesn't have anything structurally wrong. So uh, everything looked good, you know, based from, from, his, uh, from his bullpen. So I know he's ready to go. That is good news. And we talk about legs again. Felix Hernandez threw from the mound, from what I understand, the first time since he was hurt. And Scott Service said, look like those legs look pretty strong under him. 
You know, he looked good, and and again, it's it's a bullpen. It's not a test. It's uh, you know phase one of his progression back to to facing hitters. So. You know the encouraging thing is, and it was a you know it was a good thing. It might have been a little blessing in disguise for Felix. It's it's uh, it's a guy that never, you know, never wants to stay out of a rotation, and we know the history of him going deep in innings and stuff like that, and him running into a wall in, in August and September. So maybe this could avoid that, and we can get get in a playoff situation, and we can have him back. But he he looked good. He threw his twenty five pitches. You know, with his arm not being an issue, that looked really good. The, you know, there was life coming out of his hand. The location of good on everything. And the main concern was to make sure that he can get through that without any limitations or hesitations off his back leg. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he was good. You know, it's like I said, it's it's his first bullpen. He's going to have some a couple couple others, and then we'll get in, in him him into facing some different color uniforms. Interesting move, and uh, Nathan Carnes, we know that he's had some struggles of late, and Wade LeBlanc comes out, and we know he doesn't have options, and he must be of intrigue, and uh, Nathan Carnes moving to the pen. Why the pen, and why not another move? Well, why not the other move is, is to send them <laughs> back right and keep keep the uh, the depth there throughout the organization. Well, a cu- couple reasons for me. Number one, I think he does enough. I think he does enough in uh, stuff-wise. He's a high strikeout guy. We know his problems has have been in the latter part of his his outings. Nate has a lot to offer. Two things. We want to take the thinking away from him mm-hmm. and, and try to allow him to have some success. And the other thing is we think we he can help us in the bullpen. And and we all know, you know, our, our bullpen struggles as of late and what has caused them, you know, lack of innings out of from our starters. So, you know, this thing can work for both parties. I, I know from a player's standpoint, he's probably let down. You know, he, he feels like he's probably let himself and the team down. But we're looking at it, like I said, in, in, in two, two different parts here. What's good for the player, because we certainly want him back, and what's good for the ball club. You know, hence moving him into the, into the bullpen. So, you know, there's been a lot of guys transition out of a rotation that, that have stuff for whatever reason – that have a lot of success pitching in, in one and two inning roles. And, you you know, sometimes you take the thinking part out of it and all of a sudden their stuff spikes up and they become a different guy. How long do you think before we could see him? What do you do between now and the time he gets out there? Well, he's pitched out of a bullpen with Tampa, so okay. it's not, uh, you know, it's not uncharted territories. Mm-hmm. He uh, He's done this before. We'll take some time, meaning firing him into, you know, into the heat. And uh, bringing him into innings, we're gonna we're gonna soft serve it a little bit and give him time to get loose. And we know that, you know, as a starter, you take more pitches, your pregame warm up, and all that. So we will honor that, and, and then we'll see where it goes. So he's gonna go down with with Mike Hampton today. He's gonna make himself available. Uh, if we do bring him into the game, it's it's to start an inning. You know, we're not gonna ask him to do that, and uh, slowly work into the transition into being a bullpen guy for now. Now, the Pirates, a very interesting team, a team that has had a lot of success the last few years, in particular Andrew McCutcheon, who has been one of the best players in the game, a tremendous outfield. They're doing some uh, sabermetric stuff that's been ahead of the curve that's really worked. Here's a nice conversation with Aaron Goldsmith and one of their broadcasters, Greg Brown. Well, Greg, first of all, welcome to Seattle. It's been a while since you guys have been here, but when, when we think about the Pittsburgh Pirates, I think most of us, one of the first things that we think of 
is this outfield. This has got to be maybe the best outfield in baseball, both offensively and also defensively. You think about McCutcheon, who's in the MVP talk almost every year, it seems like, recently. Polanco in right field. Marte in left field. How much fun has it been watching this outfield come together and gel, all three guys? Aaron, it's it's a lot of fun. You know, the, the one thing I look forward to is actually – health for for the three of them because they've been kind of banged up and we don't get the opportunity to really see a hundred percent out of the three of them uh we see bits and pieces uh, there there was a stretch early in the year uh might have been right after polanco signed he signed frankly right after opening day and you could tell uh, almost immediately this guy just had the the weight of the world it seemed off his shoulders and was playing carefree and letting his talent shine and I think he's done that almost from the get-go McCutcheon's been bothered a little bit the last probably six or seven weeks so he doesn't want to complain about it maybe something with the hand that's bothered him and how he holds the bat Marte has been banged up with his foot uh, on occasion so I'm looking forward to the day when the three of them maybe the second half of the season they get some time off this all-star break that they get a chance to really shine through and uh, they are as athletic a group as I've ever seen. And um, especially when they were at the top of the order for a time last year, one, two, three. Uh, that's exciting to see. But uh, you, you add those three guys to the, the likes of a Josh Harrison, who's incredibly athletic, Francisco Cervelli when he's behind the plate. Um, they're, they're a fun group to watch. Greg, this will now be your 23rd year broadcasting Pirates games. And... You think about how far, how much of a change it has been for the Pirates since your first year to now your 23rd. It's highlighted in the uh, still somewhat recent book, uh, Big Data Baseball, which was written all about the Pirates and their very advanced approach to how they do business. Can you tell us a little bit about just the, the mindset of the Pirates and how it is they go about constructing a roster? Because obviously the payroll is among the lowest in the game, but they've been able to lock up many players like the outfield we were talking about earlier. And they seem to have uh, some type of algorithm that has led to a lot of wins in recent years. I think what they've done, Aaron, going back to the, the Ray Searage approach, um, knowing that they have a guy like Ray Searage, and it's the, it's the whole organizational uh, structure that they go out and they will find through their their scouting system and through the numbers, what it might be. They'll go out and they'll make a trade for a guy like an A.J. Burnett. And I think that's really when it started, when Burnett came over in a tr trade from the New York Yankees for a couple of uh, – lower level minor leaguers the Yankees paid the bulk of the salary that remained on the contract uh, Burnett was not much with the Yankees uh, and and he came over and he established this this mindset in the clubhouse that no longer are we doormats we're a major league team we've got talent on this club Andrew McCutcheon leading the way and Burnett basically said okay put it on my shoulders I'll be the ace of the staff and uh, and the Pirates felt like they saw something in Burnett he was a ground ball guy he still had health uh, he had uh, the the, the know-how he had the experience and coupled with the fact that he's now going to be pitching in what can be a pitcher friendly yard if you pitch right at PNC Park in Pittsburgh ground ball will start shifting um, National League, you don't have to go through nine guys in the batting order with the DH. Then they go out and they get a guy like Francisco Liriano uh, and, and a, a fairly inexpensive contract as a free agent. Uh, they go out and they trade for a guy like Mark Melanson when, when uh, they had traded for Joel Hanrahan from the, New York, from the Washington Nationals who had really sputtered badly. They traded one of the most popular players I've ever seen, Niger Morgan, uh, the, the speedy outfielder that the team and the city just loved. And they go out and they trade for a guy like Joel Hanrahan and lastings millage. You go, who's this guy? Well, Hanrahan turns out to be the closer. Jason Grilly. Uh, 
off the scrap heap, a minor leaguer uh, with the uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies at the time. They just seemed to, to find those type of pitchers, and that's I think where it started. And and they continue to do that. They go out and find guy like Jung Ho Gung, a South Korean, uh, when no one had had heard of him at all last year, and they wondered why the Pirates would go out and do this and basically get a guy like that on the cheap. So so they've got that that know how from the scouting standpoint, and as you mentioned, the, through the numbers, uh, and knowing that b- coupled with the system, the approach, that they have a real good chance to succeed, and that's how they've done it. Greg, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for the insights, and welcome to Seattle. Aaron, it's great to be here. Man, we love this town. We <laughs> wish we played here more often. And finally, here's Rick Riz sitting down with Casey Kendall. Rick's tips brought to you by your friends at Jack's Grill. Jack's with three locations in Issaquah, West Seattle, and Laurelhurst. The chance to visit with New Mariners first base coach Casey Candell. Casey, we're going to talk about a lot of things. When you played in the big leagues with a few clubs, you played the infield, you played the outfield. Let's talk about coaching first base. Besides telling everybody turn left when they can, what makes a good first base coach? Well, I, I think just being aware of the situation and letting the players know, you know, what's happening and what we're expecting, things like that, the situation of the game. Um, also, really kind of doing some studying and research on pitchers moves and kind of letting the players know beforehand about what to expect when a guy's on the mound I mean that, that's probably one of the most important things just letting them know the you know if there's any thing they can pick up on a guy that you can pick up on a guy watching video and the players know so they have a, a better idea of what's happening when they're getting their lead out there you have that stopwatch over there and, and what is a quick time for a pitcher where you really can't run on the guy what's a good time to run on a pitcher you know one two one two five depending on the catcher you know if it gets above that like one three above you can you know you have a chance yeah. to steal the base if you can run <laughs> if you're sp- speed challenged then uh, <laughs> you know you got to get up there to one five one six Casey, uh, baseball has its own language. It's called sign language. The manager, Tim Bogar, the bench coach, Tim Bogar, the manager, Scott Service, they're relaying signs of the third base coach, Manny Acta, and you're checking in what's going on. Tell me a little bit about the sign language of baseball and who's actually given that sign. The ultimate decision is is the manager, which is, you know, Scott. So, you know, the things that he wants to do during a game or we want to steal, we want to hit and run, we want to. That's coming from him, but it could come from a variety of guys. Most of the time, the other team is kind of trying to pick up what you're doing and get a get an idea of if they can pick something up from the third base coach or from the bench. So you have to change it up a lot. And sometimes the signs are you're quite simple, yeah. but they're you know they're they're hard to pick up still. But the players have a hard time too sometimes. So that's 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 another job of the first base coaches to go. Hey, you're running right here. That's <laughs> when you walk up to, let, to him. Right, and I try not to let anybody hear you. But uh, that's uh, that's one of the things. I mean, you know, just just kind of that communication and, and the manager. You know, he's, he's got to be thinking ahead of what he's going to want to do in the situation. It, it's not really kind of a spur of the moment thing. You have to think if this guy gets on. You know, I want to run or hit and run on the second pitch if it gets to one and zero. So, all of those things are going through his mind in the game, and then has to relay that in a timely manner to the third base coach so he can get it, get it to the hitter and the base runner. So, there's a lot going on during the course of a baseball game. Visiting with Mariners first base coach Casey Candell here on Rick's Tips. Casey, when you played in the big leagues, you were a heck of a player. You played the infield, you played the outfield. Mariners have uh, Sean O'Malley who can play the infield, the outfield. Uh, for a young kid, I guess it's it's just good to play as many positions as you possibly can in little league and high school, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, to, 
the 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 bottom line for me learning all the positions was that I wanted to be in the lineup and I didn't really care where it was uh, where I was playing I didn't care where I was hitting I didn't care where I was playing I just wanted to be in the lineup to try and help the team so I mean the more positions that you can play and the more positions you become adequate at the the better opportunity you have to, to you know get in the lineup I mean for me I mean, I started as an extra player in the minor leagues, and um, the only way that I could get into the lineup with the prospects that were on the field was, you know, if somebody was struggling or somebody needed a rest or somebody got hurt. Not that I wished anybody to get hurt or struggle or anything like that, right. but those are the normal things that happen throughout a season, and I just wanted to be ready just if they asked me, can you play the outfield? Yes. I mean, can you play the infield? Can you play short, third? Yeah, anywhere. I mean, I, I just wanted to, you know, get an opportunity to get out there to, to try and help the team. So that was what it was important for me to learn all those positions. And, you know, you get to carry a bunch of gloves around, too. <laughs> how, how tough is it to do that, to learn all those positions, and you come out to the ballpark not knowing if you're going to play the infield or the outfield like Sean O'Malley? Well, it takes a lot of work. I mean, you have to be dedicated to, to getting ground balls at each position, getting getting fly balls off the bat at, at each position in the outfield. I mean, it, it takes, uh, you know, a utility player is, is, is you have to really make sure that you're not missing, you know, any any reps at any particular right. place. And it, but it's not, you don't have to take them every day at every position, but you just have to mix it up and kind of make sure you get your work in it. Yeah. And you just, you know, it's like, when some guys go out during batting practice and they're out there shagging and standing around and talking to everybody, yeah. if you play a lot of positions, you don't really get to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, most of the time your talking is done on the bench because you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're not in there. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that's, that's tough to do to be able to play all those positions. And you got a guy here that does it very, very well, as you did in the major leagues. And our thanks for you for being on uh, Rick's Tips uh, this afternoon. Appreciate it, buddy. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. It's, uh, it was it's always a pleasure. I enjoy it. <laughs> Mariners first base coach Casey Candell, our guest here on Rick's Tips. All our guests receive a $100 gift certificate to Jack's Grill. Jack's with three locations in Issaquah, West Seattle, and Laurelhurst. Jack's is open for lunch Tuesday through Friday at 11 o'clock in the morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, Saturday and Sunday for brunch, and every night of the week for the greatest steaks in your neighborhood. That's J-A-K apostrophe S Jack's Grill. That's another edition of Rick's Tips with Mariners first base coach Casey Kendall. See you later! It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.